Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to this. This is the Infrequent Flying Podcast pilot episodes. I'm JB and as always I'm here with our three intrepid pilots. And hey, we're back! Indeed. Well, I'm not going to waste any time, so I'll just get around, get around and introduce people. So, first of all, uh, our, our resident bag, bag, bag of fun, Parky, how, how are we? Oh, didn't think you'd be going with me. I thought well, that would be done, the, the resident we bag of fun. who that was going to be. Yeah, could no, have been a bag well. of Botox looking at how young he looks. <laughs> 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 the haters, Parky, don't you listen to them? You look fantastic. Yeah, yeah, the bo- oh, Botox is working. Good. It's the subdued lighting. little leathery face. In, in <laughs> how many how many months has it been since since we've done this? Too many. I think probably easier to measure measure in years, isn't it? It's got to be six months, isn't it? You've been on the space station for six months, haven't you, got us? I can't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's not about you two. It's about Parky. Parky, how are you? I'm all good. the uh, The season has finished, JB. So uh, I, we put the Spitfire to bed, and um, yeah, I sort of turn into a sort of bear that hibernates and comes out of its cave in about March. So I'm but sort of getting my stool already. It's not really uh, a bear, yeah. is it? Come on, it's a lizard. <laughs> Squirrel. Do, do they Squirrel. hibernate? You can't really... Oh, co- I, I mean, I know it's uh, sort of... It's um, it, it's not visual media, but for anyone that hasn't seen Parky, he does not look like a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going well, with this, <laughs> More, More a s- small leathery... Squirrel. A leathery squirrel, yeah. <laughs> or a uh, butted otter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's gone tangential to my ideal introduction, but, you know, we'll, we'll go with it. Excellent. Sorry, mate. Uh, and I guess, um, from his Reds days, our resident bag, bag of tricks. Duncan, how are you? I'm good. I'm also good. I'm delighted that we're back. It's been a long time, hasn't it? And we have, uh, you, we, uh, our listeners, well, the same as everyone else, we have a little WhatsApp group, and every so often we say, we should do a pod. We'll do one this week, and then Goddess can't do it because he's very, very busy. Too high-powered. Far very too high-powered. Very busy, indeed. But no, things are great. Um, it's, um, it's good fun. Um, still flying up at Cranwell, lots of flying at the moment, so uh, a big smile on my face. How much flying? Well, at the moment, twice a day, which is good. A couple of hours a day. Hmm. Now, before we continue with the flying, I'm going to give you the opportunity just to plug something. You've been um, getting absolutely stacked. Tell, tell me about that. <laughs> yes, uh, I can. Uh, well, I've been doing so. 
I'll wind back a little. A friend of mine who was uh, on the Red Arrows um, got in touch with me and said, hey, want to raise awareness for um, the Teenage Cancer Trust, which uh, looks after kids with with cancer, clearly. And so uh, it was to do 3,000 press-ups in a month, um, in the month of November. So I started doing that and decided uh, 3,000 probably wasn't enough so we went for five thousand so i'm getting there now what are we what's the date today 24th yep so i've got i think 200 a day to to do to get five thousand in by the end of the month that's a lot of press-ups how are you breaking these up no jb uh, jb i've seen him do them i mean they literally goes down an inch oh really <laughs> no rap no there's uh, there's videos and everything oh well. god I'll be inspecting these. <coughs> what's what's what you doing? Breaking them up into uh, sets of fifty throughout the day? No, I do sets of thirty, uh, and yeah, do them throughout the day. I try and do. It depends. I, I try and do. If I've got time in the morning, I'll try and do one hundred and fifty in the morning, and then I'll try and do the rest of them sort of uh, in the day at some point. Do another couple of sets if I can. So when you say like sets of thirty, you don't just drop down in Tesco and you know quick thirty here, quick thirty there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. During he, the he debrief, can't, he can't get that low, JB, because his nose hits the ground. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, probably moving swiftly on, but uh, if we can, we could maybe put a link in. So both of our yeah, listeners absolutely. donate. I think God I can put it in show notes. Yet, so I'm sure he will at some point. He's very rich. In, indeed he is. Well, <laughs> talk, 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 talking of Goddess, our resident bag of rice. So this will all become very clear shortly. How, <laughs> yeah. how are we, Goddess? I am very good. On leave this week. Been doing a little bit of working. Only Mrs. G is uh, not overly enamoured by but um, no, I'm good, and I'm very pleased to see your little faces. And I did actually go flying in a chippy. Um, probably, when did we see each other at dinner, Dunk? About a month ago? Uh, maybe more than that now. Uh, yeah. And the yeah, magic was still like, yeah. there. It was from Wickenby Parky. Do you remember all of those times we used to <coughs> blast oh. around the circuit oh, of is this the uh, is this the flu in Chipmunk? Yes. How I was flying it? with the fluent. It was brilliant. She's a lovely looking machine, actually, in an old BOAC colours. Um, it was flipping brilliant. I loved it. I'd forgotten well, all about it. Were you very, very scared? I'm mainly about space travel. Um, no, Blunk <laughs> was when I was in the back seat and he <laughs> shouted slash screamed, go round on my first on my first <laughs> Oh, is she in silver? <laughs> yes. Oh. Silver with, uh, with a blue stripe. Uh, oh, I've got outside. silver with uh, a yellow stripe here. No, silver with a blue stripe. She's absolutely. I'll, I'll, um, Were you in the why, back? Why did he scream go around on your first approach? Because I think he's just a nervy front seater. That's all. <laughs> oh, he sounds like Mason. Why oh, did no. he put you in the back and not the front? Because uh, I don't think he's checked himself out, uh, Captain, from the rear. And uh, Parky, you should have seen it. All of those ones where we used to cut the throttle on each other around the uh, around the circuit there, and then side slip it in from somewhere. There I was sidestepping. He went, go round. <laughs> oh. So off I went to go round. And then immediately in the debris went, I, I could have made that, mate. <laughs> hey, what are the flight characteristics? I can't say no. What is flying a chip like? Ones. Tell me about it. What is JB can't speak at the moment. Characteristics. I can't say characteristics. That is that the word I'm looking for? I can't say it. We- Characteristics. Characteristics, thank you. Yeah, um, well, so for me, 
because Dunk did a bunch of time. You did Swindaby, didn't you? And then held it in Edinburgh. But for me, I'd last flown a chippy when I was a cadet, where you just sit there and don't do a lot of flying. The next time was 30-something years later with Parky. And honestly, the first time I landed it, I thought it was like landing a shopping trolley that didn't work. And... Um, <laughs> was there going oh i think i'm gonna get chopped but then it for me it turns into the most beautiful airplane you could ever fly i think it's they're wonderful well it's not quite the most beautiful airplane is it come on one of the i mean it is a lovely plane but we've been lucky enough to fly others you have but is it the difference between driving a supercar and driving something else which is just very nice to drive yeah it's like a nice mini or uh yeah a beetle a vw yeah. beetle something you know so a classic but nothing particularly high performance yeah that makes a lot of sense it, but the pure flying you can do in that little airplane is brilliant i used to love well flying with both of you guys there was less nibbing when i flew with parky but um <laughs> none you know, taken just, just the pure flying skills of you know you've had an engine failure and trying to simulate you'd get it into that particular field or as we were talking about cut the throttle downwind and and uh you know see if you could uh, uh could make the landing and and there's not a lot of other airplanes you can you've got the time capacity or uh, ability to be able to go and do that in you know so actually just testing your pure flying skills with stick and rudder as well i thought was brilliant did you have did a parachute in that one got it no, that was the slightly different feeling <laughs> that you get. And I, I, I did think of that when I was in it. And I went, is, is there a parachute? He went, no, we're not going to go spinning. And, I, and at the top of a loop I was doing, I was thinking, well, I better not accidentally put this into a spin because this could be embarrassing. Yeah, you'd probably be too low if you spun it from there anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. No, well, exactly. <laughs> the reason you didn't get nibbed by Parky is because he had probably no idea what you were doing. He's probably looking out the window at things. Oh, look, horses. Look, I can see some horses. What, did... How very dare you. <laughs> did you witness this, Parky? Did I what? You didn't, you didn't witness God as flying, did you? Yeah, me and God is, uh, yeah, we must have shared a few Wickenby moments, you know. It was actually a great little place to fly from because it had a couple of runways. So generally, one of them would have a decent crosswind, and uh, yeah, it was just great. It was they, the boys have stopped going there now, I think, because of um, fire cargo or something or other. But uh, it was uh, we we most of us cut our teeth up at Swindenby. Wickenby. Uh, uh, He's lost it. He's lost it. He's gone. <laughs> oh God, I'm in the wrong airfield. Oh God. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so JB, so it was just uh, a, uh, a guy I work with. He um, he knows one of the guys who owns that chipmunk up there, and uh, we were up seeing Dunk actually, uh, amongst other people at the uh, um, the John Egging Trust dinner up at Coningsby a few weeks back. So uh, he took me flying. Oh, and, uh, On a Friday afternoon, which was uh, like I said, it was flipping brilliant just to uh, to go flying again because I, I, genuinely I had kind of forgotten about the whole thing. Um, given space has been such a thrash recently. Well, interestingly, we, I had uh, I had dinner with Flunk, who um, who got us went flying with uh, the night after the John Egging Trust dinner uh, at the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight dinner, uh, and his story was a whole different thing, you know, from Goddess's tale. There, <laughs> he said he was terrified from start to finish. But there you go, you know, I, I'm sure you know you get two different sides of the coin, don't you? No, yeah. but the interesting thing, Dunk, was that he looked terrified all the way through. 
<laughs> Maybe he was. <laughs> Must have been awkward for him, Dunk, because technically he was flying with his boss. Yes. So he must have been... Yeah, oh, he left no, that was the, the very brothers. last second before he shouted, <laughs> How does one obtain yeah. an ex-military aircraft? Are, are, they, are they quite easy to get? Yeah, they were just in bike, you know, chippies on the, uh, you know, just uh, on the bike aviation. You know, they're up for sale. So they, you know, they're now being G-registered. So they're, they've got a uh, civilian registration. Ah, and you can, yeah. So Do they, they have to be G-registered oh, no, before they get sold? I think you can, you could buy them and then get them. It's probably easier to have it already done for you. So, you know, stop that, the noise. But, uh, yeah. You, it you was 92, the... 93 that they all came onto the market, wasn't it, when uh, when the Air Force sold them off. And from what uh, I was speaking to um, one of the other guys the other day, um, who also has a part share in a chippy, and I think the biggest thing is they've probably dropped in price recently just because of how expensive the engines are because you can't get hold of the engines these days. Gypsy Major, isn't it? Yes, it is, Gypsy yes. Major. Yeah. Two litre, I think. There he goes. Off he goes. So here's the, here's the thing, right? So there are a lot of ex-military aircraft flying around, Spitfires, you know, uh, Warbirds, so on and so forth. You've got the chippies now. Do you think there's any aircraft that are currently flying that will end up in civilian hands that the military operate? Or do you think they just run them into the ground now, that there's a plan for them, and then when they get decommissioned, well, that's it? That's an interesting uh, question. I think you, you, you'd be hard-pushed to get... Um, I think the CAA are very wary of, you know, just getting a something very... Like a Phantom, for example, or, a, <laughs> you know, a Harrier as a G-registered because of the... Uh, just, just for the, they would essentially own the risk of that, and that would be a fairly A-level thing to prove that you're safe flying it. So I think there would be a problem with that at the moment. But there are hunters, you know, obviously G-registered. So yeah. You know, there are swept wing jets that are. But I, are there any I hawks? Think, uh, are there any hawks G-registered? That'd be a fun one. I was just thinking about that. I um, think I mean, there. I've kind of heard that there may be one, but. Oh, is it one at Wharton that's on the G register or something? I don't know. Maybe because there's a gnat. So you, there's gnats around yeah. the G registered, of course. That is uh, cool. Well, hawks do fall into the PPL bracket, so you can fly a hawk on a PPL. Bizarrely, single engine. I think it's five thousand seven hundred kilos, isn't it? The the, the weight yeah. for a, a PPL. Anyway, uh, it always used to be the case, but I, I don't know of any. But you can certainly JPs are on there. Um, so the 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 thing is now is that the air force have changed the way they do things so certainly in training so back in the day the air force owned all of their chipmunks of course that was an uh, a owned by the crown and but now the air force leases its airplanes so the airplanes i fly are leased uh, oh. and so they are although they have a military registration they're actually a civilian airplane so they could in in theory, once you know that's that's they've finished flying training with EFT, they could be sold or, or used by uh, by civilian guys. Because there's some pretty nifty F-18s in pri- in private ownership now, and I, I I think that's quite cool. Yeah, there's some uh, there's some starfighters out in the uh, in the states. Yeah, and that is even cooler. You could argue. I mean, that thing is uh, mental to be. I- 
gooning around as a civilian. Is that private, though? Because it, we, we, there's a difference now between civilian and, you know, an organisation that operates them. So as you say, JB, there's there, I think there's an organisation that has all sorts from um, Albatross. Um, it has F-18s. It has all sorts. And, and it, it I would have called them vegan, something like that. Oh, you're thinking of Draken. Draken, mm. that's that's it. I knew it was named after a Swedish fighter. Yeah, but the the, the company out in the states, anyway, they they sort of package it and go, well, we can give you the most cost effective platform for what you want to do. So if you want to rent Red Air and you want to have a squadron of F-18s, then we've got a squadron of F-18s. And if you want to <laughs> do close air support, then we might put you know an albatross with a guy flying it in the front and a forward air controller sat in the back to you know help with whatever you want to do so they package that together but of course that is almost certainly run as almost not an airline but it will be under a uh, a registered scheme ah. it's not it's not a private individual owning that well in terms of i think we're, we're probably fully out of our depth on this particular one but um i'm sure there'll be a listener there's bound to be listeners being able to tell us but Surely, in order to fly that aeroplane within, whether it's continental United States or in within uh, the UK, you do have to get the, either the FAA or the CAA to register it and for you to prove that it's not a danger to the public. You'll have to have liability insurance, all of those sorts of things you would have to do if you owned your own aeroplane. Mm. So I think they probably do have to be on the civilian register because it's only the military that can get a um, a waiver for that by by our military registrations. So I do know that in prime in actual private hands there is definitely or there was at least one Lightning and there's one Buccaneer in South Africa. I don't know if there's any more of these things. And of course, yeah. the yeah, Vulcan. They had, a, they, they had an accident, didn't they? Yeah, um, they did. and and that outfit shut down oh did it like yeah because it was a two-seat lightning because didn't thunder city wasn't that's it? the one yeah that was it thunder city um i think it was our friend professor brian cox who went flying in one of those airplanes i think it was the lightning or it could have been a hunter down there actually don't do you remember that i don't i mean neither owned it actually um, I've just sent you a, a WhatsApp, boys, of the the Starfighter. It's suborbital civilian flying training in the states. Wow! And they bought a load. I think they're ex some of them ex Italian one hundred fours, but uh, I think you uh, it'll be civilian registered, and you go very high. Have you wow. ever encountered a one hundred four? Yeah, yeah, I did in, that in combat service. against one hundred fours in uh, with the. With the, uh, the Phantom, and we did a squadron exchange to, I'm thinking Grosseto, um, but it was uh, you know we just did, yeah just just flew with the boys regularly, and then uh, if we we did air combat a, a Phantom against a Starfighter. I don't think you'll ever get a bigger fight. It was a cracker. <laughs> well, we tried to do. We but, fought them down in uh, well fought them in in uh, Italy. And uh, we were doing beyond visual range stuff. So we had a controller, you know, telling us where these guys were. Uh, and so as it got closer and closer, this thing, it was like, oh, uh, visual. Whew, past it when it was like, oh, he's gone. That was it. <laughs> he just kept going. Yeah. He didn't turn. But they weren't very keen on turning. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, no, we did. Uh, we, uh, we fought against them um, on a, 
Dechi Mamanu on a detachment down there. Um, and they just cheated like hell. They, uh, they, I mean, did they have a tiny little radar on the front of those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They couldn't yeah. Pick up a, it couldn't pick up a Harrier for miles. So the pod that we carried that allowed the, uh, the debrief, the ACMI pod, it's called, the Air Combat Maneuvering and Instrumentation pod, um, their ground-controlled intercept guys would just use that and would speak to them in cockpit and go, turn left, turn left, straight on. They're in front of you, 10 miles, you know, 30 miles, 20 miles. They're in front of you. You should be able to see them now, you know, so not actually using any of their own um, situational awareness. And then they just, as Parky said, wouldn't go into a turn, would allegedly fire stuff at you and then blast straight through going about 12 times the speed of sound on their tiny little wings. Hang on a minute. Isn't that what they're meant to do? I talk to their ground controller and kill you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But using normally the ground controlled intercept officer's own radar and uh, everything that that brings with it, not using the absolutely you know GPS pod um, numbers. Oh, to tell you sorry, exactly I'm with you. Where they are? So your GPS pod is saying you're here. Otherwise, they wouldn't know. It is you telling yes. them because of you know. Correct. So they're, so they're, they're watching the live thing <laughs> of what's going on using that ACMI debrief um, and would end up controlling them off of that rather than their radar. Oh, well, they're only and, cheating and I themselves. Think you, could, you could be cheating themselves, JB. You could be very naughty. And if you were firing a sparrow or something, I don't think the ACMI downlinked exactly where your radar was looking. So if it was in parameters, you would essentially get a kill even if you weren't locked to anything. So... You could be a bit dodgy on that. And I can remember very early days. You'll remember this, um, Goddess, but on the uh, on the F-16, the, the button for the, the gun was a trigger at the front, whereas that would be for all weaponeering on, on uh, most British fast jets. And on an ACMI at about sort of 30-odd miles, there would be a little F-16, and they go, stop, you have just uh, taken a gunshot. Any reason? <laughs> Sorry. Wrong, wrong missile, you know. And it was just that, oh dear. Doesn't look brilliant. Some bloke firing his gun at 30 miles before. If you just wait a couple of seconds, the correct thing will come off. There we go, that's it. My memory's starting, my memory's starting to fire up now. Didn't you encounter these guys in Red Flag, uh, Godders? Didn't the Germans bring some out? No, they brought out some uh, F. They saw on a maple flag. Good memory. Maple flag, uh, they had some F4s and they had some MiG 29s. And uh, really? that was, yeah, so that was 2000. So the, the the German, the unification in Germany had meant that those airplanes had, had been in around Germany for, I, I guess, eight or nine years at that point. But they were moving them around the world and flying as red air. So you'd get that realistic red air. Oh, wow. And, and I mean, and, and they were brilliant to fly against. But normally, where you would try and avoid the fight, unless you were in a particular role, if one of these things lit you up, everyone would just turn in and go and try and fight it because you wanted to try and get guns footage on your camera of a MiG-29. Of course. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, no. Yeah, so I, I, I remember getting spiked, going to the beam, going notching, as we called it, so going 90 degrees to it to try and defeat their radar. As soon as the spike went off, pitched back in, um, only to fight. What was the what was the rule, Parky? No more of eight in a visual merge? Something along those sorts of lines? Um, for uh, are you talking non-air combat? No. So it, there was a I can't remember the regulation. It was no more than eight in a visual merge or something. 
Oh, sorry, number of aircraft. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. yeah, probably. Yeah. Are you with us, Sparky? He did look like he was dressed Air, up. Aeroplanes, mate. I, I, I think. I think I gassed off the number of aircraft in the Vision Merge rule, to <laughs> well, be honest. So well, I, wouldn't, turned out that I wouldn't really be counting them at that stage. <laughs> it turned out that most of Maple Flag had gaffed it off at that particular point as well, because as, uh, as I pitched in, I saw at least 30-odd aeroplanes <laughs> all, all trying yeah. to mix it up with these MiG-29s, so just turned away bravely, as I normally do. I'm not going in there. I ran away bravely, as you guys know I always do. <laughs> Live, <laughs> survive to get promoted another day, hey? Um, exactly. So, just last question on the F-104. Why do the Americans hate them and the Europeans love them? I don't think the, the Americans hated them. They didn't use them, though, did they? They, uh, they never bought them. Or very, yeah, li- they, very they few numbers. Well, it's because if you have a look at their inventory over that time that the 104 was being sold, as Parky said, you know, they, I mean, they had tens of different fighters all doing yeah. different roles voodoo's and all sorts it was that era wasn't it yeah, of yeah, those exactly. kind 100s, of things. 101s yeah, um, yeah. 104s 105s um, F4s yeah and, and so but for the Europeans it's always been the same when you are buying a fighter it's, yeah, it's for 30 years yeah yeah you commit for a long time and um, you can't buy that many of them because we're only small compared to the uh, to the US. So you know, for someone like the Italians or the Germans, it was just one of those easy things to uh, to to buy into. Um, and was it? It was Lockheed, wasn't it? You know, so a yeah. big US com- company. And it's always, you know, the political aspect of these things is also to get links with America and uh, and ensure that you're uh, you're trading with uh, with one of the big uh, one of the bigger allies. Yeah. That's why I really admire Sweden for what they've done with their own indigenous fighters over the years. You mentioned Draken, but all of those ones have been brilliant from the uh, the Saab side of things. Yeah. Are they going to develop another aircraft, do you think, um, Sweden? Or do you think they're going to come on board with the with the UK? Or, or should we just not talk talk about that? No, but I, well, I mean, they've got, they're still they, flogging they the Gripen, aren't they, too. at the moment? Yeah. Yeah, there's an upgrade to the Gripen, which has got an ASA radar... Um, it's probably the same as the F-18, A, B and C compared to the D, E and F models. It's that much of a change with the Gripen. Um, and so, yeah, they're pressing with that. And I think they're managing to sell that around various places as well. It's a great bit of kit, the Gripen. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? We've been quite geeky this evening, aren't we? Love hey, it. Did this... I black out? Did I black out or... So, so, JB, you introduced Goddard's with the uh, the airing cupboard and the rice. Yes. Did I black out, or did he? Did he talk about that? No, he hasn't. So let me. Did he, yeah. Let me. Good call, actually, Doug. Let me introduce that then. So we were thinking about what to talk about, and of course, we've just done twenty five minutes on F one hundred fours, which is brilliant. But we thought we might just talk about things which have happened in the aviation world. So I guess I'll let Goddard's talk about this now. What has happened in the aviation wor- world? What was the big story from last week? Well, the big story from last week was, um, yeah, and there's uh, there's quite a lot of stuff going on. But one of the big things that we were discussing before we came on air is the um, crash of the F-35 off of HMS Queen Elizabeth out in the Mediterranean last week, which um, was a real shame. I mean, it is and will be a massively successful deployment. Um, You'll remember I did that job for 
three and a half years or so yeah. was integrating everything into the uh, um, onto the carrier. So that, to do what they've done, get? go all, yeah, go all the way <laughs> to the far east and back again, and then to have that happen just in the med on the way home is uh, is a real shame. But pilot got out, which is great. And um, we were talking, weren't we, about the fact that there is a bit of a recovery operation as uh, as various nations race subsurface towards the wreckage, as I read in the Daily Mail just the other day. So it's bound to be true. Yeah. Now, when I hear stuff like this, I always think of the Howard Hughes ship, and I can't remember what the hell it's called now, which went to the middle, the, the middle of the sp- middle of the Pacific with a big crane in a ship to try and pick pick up a, a submarine. Any ideas how they'll try and get this aircraft? Because presumably they want it back. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a marine geographer. There is a word for it. Geologist. Um, I don't know, but I don't know. A, I don't. I don't. A marinologist. Know. A marine mapist. <laughs> Where, I don't know where it happened in the uh, in the Mediterranean. That's one of the things that they keep highly classified as uh, where the carriers are on a, uh, on a reasonably regular basis, especially when they're, they're on operations. It's obviously when they're obvious when they're in port. So I don't know where it was in the Med, but I don't think the Med is too deep. I understand it's deeper in certain places. It's not Mar- Mariana's Trench deep, but I did hear this was in a uh, in a slightly deeper area uh, and. Honestly, they may have recovered it by now. Again, being in Space Command on a week-by-week basis, I tend not to hear too much. It's only just um, stuff I hear off of, uh, I mean, uh, off of is, other guys. Depth is all relative, isn't it? Because, you know, the, when you say not too deep, it's not as if, you know, you paddle in there and it's up to your shins. I think, you know, it's probably... Well, it rel- is every time I've gone in. <laughs> right up to your shins. So... I guess, you know, even if it's only relatively shallow, the the job to get it back will be fairly complex, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you know, how, how these things but, work. It can't be the first time this has had to be done, though, Doug. Surely they've, uh, they've got a plan, right? Yeah, and you think about what the... Yeah, oil... yeah, they're, yeah, you're right, Parky. They're bound to have a plan. <laughs> I imagine there's, there's a way of doing it. Although, check this out. I have just Googled how deep is the Mediterranean Sea. and I'm going to go 200 two, metres. Okay. That's good. Dunk? Uh, three metres. Wow. <laughs> that's silly. <laughs> All the boats would be lying on their side, Dunk. <laughs> uh, what do you reckon, Dunk? Go more than three. Got two, okay. more than 200 or less than 200? I'm going to go less than 200, but I'm going to go 150 metres. Okay, Parco. Oh, well, just I'll go more just to make it interesting. What's the answer? Well, the average depth is 1,500 metres, almost 5,000 feet, and the deepest point is 5,000 metres, 5,200 metres. Wow. wow. That is very, if any that is submariners way... listen to us, they will think we are buffoons. <laughs> well, so, I think people think we're buffoons. Av- uh, hold on. Are you sure that that's the average depth? It says the average depth, according to Mr. Google, is uh, 1,500 feet. 
1,500 so, meters, and the deepest yeah. point is 5,267 meters, about 3.27 miles in the Calypso Deep in the Ionian Sea. So as That's I understand what, it, the reason that the Med doesn't have much of a tidal range is because it's quite shallow. So I, that sounds quite deep to me. Yeah, but it's all relative, isn't it? As it said, so that yeah, might be relatively shallow. It's certainly more than over your shins, though, I think. Yeah. I think just, you might have to hold your breath as you waded in there. Just on this subject, does anyone know the story about the Yak 28 that crashed? Is that the one in Berlin? It is the one in Berlin. Well done. Yes, in. Yeah, only because I read uh, a bloke called George Black, who was, we all know Blackie, it was his dad. So he was Mr. Lightning back in the day. And then he was actually very early on the uh, on the Harrier, bringing that in. But he did a sort of ground tour in his book. And it just coincided with him being sent out, I think, to Berlin when this thing happened. And the boys, it, there's some big, is it Potsdam? There's some big lakes, aren't there, in Berlin? Yeah. And, it, and it crashed into one that was technically either on the border or maybe it was in the sort of the, maybe the Brit-controlled part. And, and I think that they whipped the, uh, whipped the radar out, sneaky-beaky, got it to Farnborough, had a quick look at it, and then put it back in by the time the Russians then dragged it out. I thought it all went to... Did it not all go to Farnborough, get deconstructed, and then put on a lorry and sent back? I, I need to get the book. I'm fi- I can't believe they'd had the time to do that. And obviously, the, you know, the lake wasn't that big that I think the Russians could see. So I think it was all... Yeah, you're right, it actually. Was, it, it was definitely, would it be early, late 50s, early 60s? That sort of time, I'm guessing. Maybe 50s. But, uh, you know, absolutely at the height of the Cold War. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a cracking story. It's, there'll it's be, there'll awesome, be a film on that one, though, won't there? There, def- well, there definitely should be. You know, for the, for the recovery of the F-35, uh, again, it'll be James Bond stuff, won't it? You know, there'll be all sorts of submersible vehicles winding their way towards it to try and uh, work out how to get it, or if there's any information they can get from it. I, the uh, the two-star will be ready with his bowl of rice to dry it out. <laughs> well, there okay. it is. In the airing <laughs> cupboard, bowl, big bowl of rice. Yeah, so that, was your joke? That, was, that was the discussion about the F-35 being an electric aeroplane, is that once they do get it up, as long as no one turns it on, just stick it in a massive airing cupboard. There we go. We could convert a hangar into an airing cupboard. A few tons of rice in there. Don't touch it for a week or so. Nice and warm. Pop your um, towels in there as well. Yeah, then it'll, then it'll be all right. No, I was Perfect. just reading the story about that yak um, that crashed in the lake that you guys are just talk, uh, talking about. It was a, a fire bar. A yak. That's it. Was it not Brewer? 28. No, it had yak. two big engines on the wings, I think. Quite swepty wing. What year was it, Goddard? I'm going to guess was... 58. No, no, 58. 54. 54, something like that. I'm guessing. On April the sixth, nineteen sixty-six. Oh wow! Much later Ooh. on, it was the Havelsee Lake, a lake that, that uh, straddled the British and Russian sectors of Berlin. Okay. Um, this is—I'm not going to read the whole thing. It is an amazing story. Um, it's <laughs> the uh, the first the British knew of the Havelsee incident was when a radio operator at Berlin's RF Gatel picked up a message from the aircraft controllers ordering the pilot to try and land in the lake but inside the Soviet sector. Despite a valiant attempt, he failed, his aircraft falling short and inside the British zone. Brigadier David Wilson, then head of Bricksmiths, I guess the British mission, was playing squash when the aircraft came down. A quarter of an hour later, still in his shorts, like JB, 
he was already coordinating one of the most astonishing espionage coups of the Cold War. So the Brits cordoned off the scene. A, uh, an interpreter sent to the lakeside where the Russian troops were trying to force their way through. The Russians watched as squadron leader Morris Taylor, who unknown to them was the British operations uh, officer, rowing to the wreckage to take photos. Uh, and uh, there's a ton of stuff in it. Just Google it. It is it's a phenomenal uh, it is story. There's definitely something to do with Farnborough. And, uh, yeah, sure there is. You're 100% right there. Well, and, then, and then they throw him back time, in the so... water for the boys. But in, yeah, within minutes, at the same time, technical experts were flown out from the uh, Royal Aircraft Establishment of Farmer to examine, uh, examine the aircraft's skip-spin radar, uh, which, unlike the uh, the Western systems at the time, could look up and down as well as straight ahead. Well, there you go. Down below the water, one British serviceman was trying to get the pilots out of the aircraft so they could be examined by intelligence experts. By 1.45 on the second day, the bodies had been bagged up and below the water work was going on to remove the radar. Um, meanwhile, Major Jeffrey Stevenson, one of the British interpreters, persuaded the Russians that they were still trying to recover the bodies of the crew, that the Russians were suspicious the British might uh, spirit something out under the cover of night, etc., etc. That is brilliant. Isn't it a good story? So the one which everyone knows about is, of course, the MiG-25 that landed in Japan, which is nowhere near as good as this one. But in a, a serendipitous moment, Gatow, that you just spoke about, also had chipmunks at it. They operated chipmunks operationally out of Gatow, didn't they, that we were talking about earlier. And they used to go and do recce over the um, the Berlin Wall. Is that yeah, right? It wasn't um, 486. That was, that was there, wasn't it? That was yeah. one of those chipmunks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the ones that we all flew at BBMF... Um, actually flew out of Gatow that you're talking about that this operation happened at um, doing recce of the Berlin Wall. How interesting. The, uh, the Americans had the SR-71 Blackbird and we had a chipmunk. <laughs> <laughs> with, with a bloke with a little camera in it. Yeah. And, and they genuinely did. I knew a mate that flew it out there and they flew around with, you know, just, just clicking away, getting pictures of, uh, of guys just, you know, across the other side of the border. Americans wow. in spacesuits at Mach 3, and then us with Flight Lieutenant uh, George Reynolds. Get the camera, George. Make a picture of that, mate. Well, Just it works. as effective, I think you'll find. Um, <laughs> probably better resolution pictures of those checkpoints in and around Berlin. Ah, uh, there been... speaks the senior officer. Yes, as is best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So back to this F thirty five, right? Um, how are they going to go about replacing this? How easy is that? Well, normally when so when you buy um, <clears throat> fighter air, well, you buy anything, but the um, from a Get fighter guaranteed. perspective, <laughs> you'll have they'll have a uh, um, attrition spares that come along with it. So they'll just like the. They'll know from how many years we've operated single-engine aeroplanes, so on, what the reliability of the aeroplane is. And they'll know every now and again something like this is going to happen. In wartime, you're going to lose some aircraft as well. So um, we must have bought a lot of extra Harriers. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about just this the other day because it was a bit of a shock to hear a Brit had ejected from an F-35 when um, I'm touching wood. Uh, in all of these years of typhoons, whilst there have been a couple of fatalities, um, 
but there hasn't been a Brit that has ejected from a uh, from a, a, a typhoon. Is that right? Whereas when Duncan and I were on the um, parky, when you were stooging around in F4s and, uh, and F3s, people we knew were jumping out left, right in Chelsea, weren't they? And certainly in the Harrier, we went through that period in the in the 90s, Dunk, when all of us thought it was us next because we'd had about six in six months or six in four months or something. We're, we're really it, it must have been quite a surprise when you actually jumping. landed. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was a bit well, of a surprise. <laughs> I, I, well, I made surprised. it back. I, mean, I, I spent five years on the Harry and was incredibly surprised that I'd managed to survive it or, you know, not jump out by the uh, by the time I left. Crikey. Well, wasn't, yeah. wasn't the Harry a story more to do with inexperienced US Marines flying it rather than experienced Royal Air Force personnel? I don't no, think so. Had... I think the fact is, you know, we had... Just as inexperienced guys, uh, the, the, the way that the Americans did it was slightly different to us. And without blowing our trumpets, the fact is that we recognise that it was a complicated aeroplane to operate, uh, uh, you know, off d- different surfaces and uh, aircraft carriers, etc., etc. And therefore, the guys that are generally done better in flying training would get sent to the carrier. Oh, I Pardon? see. And then where, <laughs> where did you go, Paul? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It is true. Whereas the Americans didn't look at it that way. I think they just, you know, people would just get sent in different ways. In fact, they may have even done it the opposite way. God, as you'll probably be able to uh, uh, to give a bit more insight having been out there. But um, they certainly lost a lot of guys um, uh, on the Harrier, perhaps more so than we did. Uh, and perhaps because of that reason. I think early on, though, in the older market Harrier, though, because as we got to GR5, GR7, GR9, um, there yeah, were... Anybody could fly those, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. We, we did well, wouldn't, God, us, wouldn't, to... uh, wouldn't a lot of them have just been, you know, bird strikes, you know, single engine, operating constantly at low level, pretty much. You know, that, there was that, that's you know, just a high risk. I mean, that was a big intake, wasn't it, that the Harrier had, I imagine... Would the uh, burst tracks must have accounted for a fairly high percentage of, of yeah, the boys? Well, so I mean, we so half, half, uh, our that mate, was a bird strike. Yeah, that was a bird strike. Um, Dano, who uh, we were doing a, a, an exercise out of uh, in Norfolk, uh, and he ejected. So that was a bird strike as well. There, there's a number of bird strikes, but Ned, what, what was Ned's one up at Lossie? <clears throat> I can't remember. Bird strike as well. I think you're probably right. <clears throat> it's that single engine thing, JB. Oh my god! I'm oh, on. I'm just counting up the losses now. Seventy-four losses of Harriers I'm on so far. I'm not even oh. into the nineties yet. Now this is uh, this is British Harriers. That's remarkable. Mind you, there was a war as well. I, I can remember JB when I when I rocked up on uh, a sort of. Uh, a flight safety day. The Dutch had a flight safety day at one of their sort of bases, and all the boys came to it. I think it was like a Vokel in '95 or something or other. And the Americans were there, and they just went through sort of crashes. And I, I don't think the Dutch had had one. Maybe the Belgians had lost one. That sort of thing. Yeah. And then they gave a book of of the crashes. It was like, well, there's hundreds in this thing. And that was, and I thought, I guess that's of the F-16 flying. It had been around for twenty odd years, and that was one year's worth of F-16s. And they wow. were all American. And and it was probably, you know, ours, the ratio wasn't probably that different of the four nations of the, you know, the Danes, the Norwegians, the uh, the Dutch and the Belgiques. But they just had so many aircraft. Get this. And they flew so many times. And 
You know, it was 50-odd that they lost in that year. I'm, I'm sure. It was extraordinary. Six, there you go. 16 out of 31 Indian Na- Navy Sea Harriers were destroyed in crashes. That's remarkable. Yeah, it is, yeah. you got a 50-50 chance, boys. Good luck. <laughs> wow. Wow. That kind of brings home the risk, though, to be fair. But, uh, well, yeah, there's, there's another stat that came from uh, that book that I was mentioning um, that uh, George Black, he joined, and I think in 1952, um, the, uh, the RAF lost 150 metres in one year. And, you know, it, it generally yes. as he was sort of rocked up to do his OCU, there was, you know, he had to wait in the bus because there was a, a funeral going on. And I think three of his guys got killed oh. on his OCU course on the Meteor. But that year, it's, he kind of, there's a, a sort of slip about the stats. And, you know, there's things like seven Lancasters were lost and there's some mosquitoes and hundreds of aircraft were lost that year. To such, I, I think Churchill was the prime minister again and he wrote to Kaz the boss of the Air Force, sort of, you know, voicing his concerns about, in civilian times, the uh, number of aircraft. And uh, the boss of the RAF wrote back and said, remember who won the Battle of Britain? And that was that sorted. So, uh, Done. It is risky yeah, business. That's, that's, uh, JB, it's an interesting point, though, isn't it? In that I mentioned the fact that it was a bit of a shock. Well, it was a shock to hear that we lost a, uh, an F-35 the other day. I think there's something like close to 700 F-35s flying around the world now. So it just, in a single-engine aeroplane, it just demonstrates how, A, they're more reliable than they ever used to be, and B, um, the, uh, they're relatively straightforward to fly. Yeah. Because um, I- a, a lot of those old, the Indian Navy ones, operating in and around carriers with single-engine aeroplanes, the V-stall, the vertical short takeoff and landing side of things, is really tricky. Is really tricky. Whereas you get into an F thirty-five, it's straightforward. You know, you made the point that anyone can do it, and anyone can do it. I think, and uh, so that's probably what it is. That's why it was such a shock. Uh, on so this the boss, of, the boss of three squadron, when we were operating, when Dan Johnson ejected up in Scotland, which was a bird strike that we were speaking about, was a field exercise uh, out of uh, one of the old airfields uh, in Norfolk. And um, Des Dazzoni, who was the boss at the time, came in and, and said, well, boys, operation this size, bound to lose a few. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, and I guess that maybe applies to, uh, you know, the carrier's, uh, the, the carrier's uh, deployment that it's just been on this time. Well, you know. I, I think it is worth noting, though. I mean, the F-35 today is a remarkably safe aircraft. I, and actually, just before we say... Is, oh, I'm going to ask a, a separate question. Is it safe because it is intrinsically safe? Or is it safe because you're doing all of your training in simulators now? Ooh, well, that's a good question, I think. And, uh, you know, the fact is, it's probably safer because if you look, if you compare, it's a much like the F-16s that Goddard was talking about. In terms of flying hours, the number of flying hours they'll have done with it is enormously reduced compared with... Uh, you know, back in 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, when uh, synthetic training was far, far less. Yeah, so, but accident rate per flying hour, Dunk, I reckon Typhoon and F-35 have got to be well impressive compared to, you know, the, the likes of the Harriers, even F-3, F-4, you know, that, yeah, that sort yeah, of I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. And, but I don't mean to poo-poo it, but, of course, F-35 hasn't been flying that long, so it hasn't got that 
you know it hasn't got a, a, a any sort of longevity to its its service life so far for us to be able to look at that yeah but i think the same thing if if you'd have looked at the same point with well i don't even know whether we got to 700 harriers in the world we probably didn't um, uh, the the same point in the service life i guarantee we'd have lost a, a no. massively high percentage more yeah, of, you're right. uh, of other yeah. fighters along the way yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and you're right and, and we mentioned typhoon there as well massively reliable when it comes to it I don't know. I've never flown one. Fuck, he's not even listening. He's just staring at me. Yeah, well, you know, it was. It's, uh, I, I remember I had the first engine failure ever, you know, in a, in a typhoon. I oh, did you? Just, you know, yeah, and it, I remember just left engine flame. You know, she had a little nag at you. And I remember thinking, utter disbelief. Like, oh, God, this can't be real. You know, whereas it was, I wouldn't say commonplace in uh, F3, F4, but, you know, you, you chuck engines down, you know, a fair bit, you know, every now and again. But it was just like, good grief. I remember telling my wingman, my engines, my left engines, I can't believe it. Better go home. You know, it was just, uh, it was surreal. But uh, so, so what was wrong yeah, with it, Parker? What is it, did it just it, it was, flame out? Yeah, it was a very early, early doors. And it was the inlet guide vanes hadn't moved. And as oh. I went through 15,000 feet, I guess they should have moved to a certain angle, you know, to allow a nice flow into the engine. And it basically starved the engine. So, you know, in a way, I guess it only happened on one side. I don't, you know, the, the other one was obviously good. It, it was it was just that computer on that left-hand engine. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it was very one of those very strange things at the time. God, was fairly early doors onto it. You know, it would light up like a bit of a Christmas tree, the uh, the central warning panel. And when I then, and I, so I got a left engine oil pressure and, you know, various bits on captions, as soon as I put the, the throttle in the off position, all the captions disappeared. And that was completely serious. I don't think I've ever flown with no caption and I'm single engine. And, uh, and then, <laughs> everything's fine. Yeah, right. very, very, very strange that was. And then... It used to have phase of flight. They've probably tweaked it a little bit now. But then when I landed and the uh, the main wheels, I think even the nose wheel touched down and it went into ground phase of flight, that central warning panel lit up like a Christmas tree, which is probably not what you wanted to happen, you know, just on landing, quite distracting. No. Yeah, I can. Uh, I, I remember that sort of. It was one of those that you know, there were the guys actually quite interested to see just to check that the sim was giving the correct captions, if you see what I mean. Oh, how um, cool. And but now you mentioned uh, you mentioned IGVs as well. I think you know we lost uh, certainly a number of Harriers uh, through IGV problems as well because it was pretty sensitive to that. IGV, yeah, I think they're quite important. <laughs> yeah, IGV. Yeah, so don't you're gonna have to, yeah you're gonna have to inlet guide vanes now. Ah, got it. Yeah, so it, it to to it to as the name suggests, it literally is at the air intake. Uh, it guides the air in the correct. To, in the correct flow uh, onto the uh, onto the compressor, so that it, it the engine works properly. Yeah, so I only learned about this relatively recently. But though, for those who are thinking, like, still, what, what what are you talking about? Are those the basically the cone things that you see on like a Mirage Three, and they go in and no, out? No, those are the those are the ramps. Oh, so, most you know, back in the day, I think even we'll go back to the Starfighter, but then when that thing was first rolled out. They kept the intakes completely covered because it was a bit of a giveaway. You could almost work out the speed of an aircraft by 
how the ramps would move and deflect and those bits there. But I think uh, this is something that's further inside, just just right at the, just before the compressor stage. Ah, interesting. Mm. So yeah, if they failed, that was it. Engine didn't work. Uh, did you get it restarted, or did you just go home? Uh, no, it's uh, bizarrely as well. It had an auto relight, uh, and the um, the one the igniters that we then had to check again that they were working. I think you could check them downstairs as well on the uh, on the panel. But the, one of those had burnt out, so it wouldn't relight. So I wow. I had had one light, had two igniters, and one had got the engine going in the first place, and then the stat had burnt out on uh, on start bizarrely. So uh, it was a sort of yeah, great trip for me. <laughs> really, really serviceable aircraft that one. Crikey. How early was that? Was that was that when you were on twenty nine early doors? Yeah, it was at Coningsby. So I think that would have been. Uh, 2005. But yeah, didn't they have... There was a couple of early, early teething problems happening. It was... Uh, remember, Flunk, the guy that I went flying with in the chipmunk, ended up landing uh, nose wheel up, which was quite spectacular. Um, in yeah, that the was... Uh, evening dusk. Bra- Bravo Juliet, the, the aircraft that hated humans, because I think we'd done the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the lightning trial on it, and they, they'd zapped it with a billion volts or something. And ever since that, it didn't like humans. And uh, I, I've, after they fixed that, that spark down the runway, we all went out to watch as, uh, as, a, as a Eurofighter landed without a nose wheel. And it, it sort of, you know, it did a great job and uh, sort of held off. It was Ferg was flying it. I think Flunk was in the back Oof. from memory. And um, he helped, sort of held it off and then gently, gently just popped the nose down and there's sort of a few sparks. But the, the four ADTs that measure the angle of attack and temperature and the sensors are basically bits of, four bits of metal. They all sit under the chin and they all pinged off and went down both engines before we could sort of shut them down and uh boy did they go through the engines and make a lot of sparks and bangs and uh yeah it was quite impressive for a bit but they got that (laughs) thing flying again i i did the air test on that thing they sort of wheeled it out the the aircraft that hated humans and it was like i think we should give up on this one no 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 we fixed it off you go parky (laughs) and I'm, i'm sure I'm sure he never liked me very much. Well, but hated, hated humans, but hated humans, but clearly had a soft spot for leathery squirrels. <laughs> 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 hey, but but hey. Uh, talking because you know God has uh, and I, I think, have only ever flown. Well, you've done Typhoon, I suppose, but up until then, single-engined only. But the F3 that could have, if it had a back-end engine fire. There was something that that was it. You were doomed. Both engines were doomed, weren't they? even though you had two. Wasn't that right, that there was something? Yeah, yeah, it, it turned – it was uncontrollable and, uh, yeah, hitting the fire bottles and all of that stuff. It was just a, an uncontrolled fire. And it, yeah, it would uh, – we ended up having a speed of the day, the F3 boys will remember. that they, they worked out it happened at very high speed. And you go supersonic at low level in the, uh, in the F3 quite easily. And, you know, it, they, they, they somehow worked out that – they would then go, it's, you know, it's a hot day today and uh, blah, blah, blah. The speed of the day, do not go above 760 knots or something. You know, it was it was like that. And that was to try and stop that. Wow. But, uh, yeah, the, it was, uh, you know, you're badly placed because generally they were very high speed ejections. Uh, the boys got out of it, but obviously that's not a, a great, great thing to do. Was that because the... Because. Uh, because. Uh, <laughs> was that because the, the boys... You know, that fire was so intense 
that they couldn't then, you know, shut them down, get the nose up, reduce speed before ejecting? Was it right? Get out I, now. I think it was. Yeah, it was fairly. Oh, I bet. Did it have something to do with a tailplane? Would it burn through tailplane? Well, yeah, was, wasn't did, it? Did, didn't Stu Smiley? Wasn't Stu Smiley one of those? Wasn't he a, a high-speed? I think Stu was a. Uh, um, we need to get him on and talk about his ejection. But I think he was a uh, a rear-end fire in an F3 boy. I mean, I might be talking as the Hawk. If you had um, uh, uh, a uh, one of the GTS fires, if you had a GTS fire, that could. You had to go and loiter in the overhead. Um, in case it burnt through, um, and then G it GTS dunk for the uh, the non hawk listeners. Uh, the gas, gas turbine, turbine starter. starter. Yeah, gas turbine. I could have guessed all day and not got that. <laughs> oh yeah, the GTS <laughs> fire. Yeah, of course. Yeah, little No, it's the Hawk top. Grand Turismo Sport. Yeah, <laughs> such an yeah. accessible podcast. This isn't it. The GTS. Yeah, fire. I can remember that emergency dunk, and it was it was the control rods are about there, wasn't it? And if you just basically you would. Just, no, no, it hasn't burned through those on that land. Yeah, you or, loitered. If the yeah. cop, if the caption went out, I think you loitered for 10 minutes. And if it stayed on for 20, and then you landed and hoped for the best. But yeah. if, it, if it went, it was an uncontrollable pitch down. That was what it was. I think I'm remembering right. Something like that, anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but talking of things going through the engines, there was one JB where um, one of the guys on one squadron on the Harrier, the uh, seat where you clip your uh, oxygen and radio um uh, uh it's called a personal equipment uh cover isn't it the or personal equipment connector, connector the pec so you would clip when you get into the airplane you connect that and that had your oxygen your g-suit hose and your radio stuff that were then connected to you and the uh, the oxygen and the uh, and the air would come to the uh, the g-suit so when you to avoid dust and everything going down the holes when no one was sat in the aeroplane, there was a thing called the PEC cover, which is a quite a big old thick bit of metal. It was this cover with a lever on the back that you just clip into it and, and lock it down. And um, for whatever reason, this had been left on right on the shoulder of the uh, the Harrier that this guy was getting into. Um, it was you know just take it out, put it on the side. Right, I'll get that in a second. And it was forgotten about. And he got onto the runway, and as he went full power, the auxiliary intake doors on a Harrier opened, and this thing there went down into the engine. Oh, and essentially, it looked like one of those Tom and Jerry corn on the cobs after they'd finished it, as it shaved, um, as this big bit of metal then shaved all the blades oh. as it went all the way through the engine. And uh, it was miles, wasn't it? Just completely lost all all power up at around 100 knots and ended up aborting and uh, I think only going a little bit off the runway, unlike my spectacular, um, <laughs> but ended up coming to a halt. And then the, this engine looked like sort of half an engine down the intake. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So, um, want... What would his CO say, say about that? Just, just, <laughs> just give me a flavour of that conversation. Well, they'd, 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 I mean, same as my one, and I've told the story before, but they, they'll run an investigation and have a look at exactly what happened, why it happened. Um, and then, oh, it's interesting, these days, uh, you, you run through a set of standard tables to see, you know, pilot error, avoidable, all the way through to sort of criminal damage, uh, and then the same on the... I'm not going to call it punishment, but the uh, um, what to do, whether it's minor administrative action or, or way through to court martial. 
are we talking about the pilot equivalent of the high tackle framework? Yeah, I think you're right. The high tackle framework for everyone listening, it being the uh, the thing that you know, the referees go through religiously in a rugby match to understand whether they're going to yellow or red card. No, you're right. It is exactly that. There we go. And was and there a it, high and, degree of incompetence? Was there damage? So it's exactly that. And the reason there is that framework there is to provide consistency for everyone. So rather than a particular CO making a judgment saying, right, you screwed that up. I'm taking you offline for the next six weeks or that could have happened to anyone. You're back flying tomorrow. Ah, interesting. Interesting. That's uh, a good analogy. I like it. There we go. Feel free to use that on any of your subordinates. <laughs> Uh, thanks, JB. It's okay. Hey, boys. Well, I've got any subordinates anymore? <laughs> hey, well, boys. Um, I uh, it's well, we've been doing it for an hour, which is all that I'm contracted. Uh, which is all that I'm contracted for. <laughs> but um, is it a silly question to ask? Are there any historic questions that we've not answered, Goddess? Oh my goodness! Right, you talk amongst yourselves. Um, shows how much we. Uh, we talk about what we're going to do. I'm going to go and look at the pod online and see what questions are out there. But of course, it's I, interesting I, to say. So, talking about you know what we've uh, what, what God has just mentioned that, that how we prepare for this is we don't. So we literally just they never up. know, don't. I know, I know. We we rock up, but it's interesting the directions we go in, isn't it? You know that suddenly we've kind of sparked from uh, chipmunks to um, then aircraft losses and how engines fail um, all the way through from sort of past to uh, to present day. Yeah, it's quite good. There's, there's quite a lot of stuff in here saying how people miss us. Well, two, but I'm going to say quite a lot. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had at least two. I've had at least two ask, uh, asking when we're back recently. My dad's been asking. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Dad. Well, I even heard uh, Phil on Egg Chaser say, oh, excellent. So, oh, he's uh, a I don't know. Does, huge does Phil fan. actually listen? Hello, huge hello fan. Phil. Good to see you. Good, good to see you the other week at uh, North Dorset Sevens. We didn't talk about that when we saw each other. Uh, indeed. Yeah, I, I went down to Exeter the other, the other week to play in Sunday Park. And my plan was to come off the road, not off the road as such, and go to the Fleet Aeron Museum. Sadly, I was too I was too early. It wasn't open. So I had to go back, back on the motorway and over to uh, Chiefs. Oh, that is a shame because it is a good museum, actually. Yeah, really, the Yeovilton. Yeah, yeah, really desperate to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is good. I guess you know we haven't been able to. There hasn't been any excursions to those sort of things because of the pandemic. Yeah, is there really? So there's been. I guess I guess they've been suffering. If only we knew someone who um, had an air display team or something that we could interview or go and see. That'd be a really cool <laughs> podcast. Did but we uh... have. We have got quite a few people lined up, haven't we? I know we've been uh, relatively unorganised this time, but, you know, if we can get Goddess to have a day's leave again, because otherwise we'll never pin him down. Unlikely. Then, then, uh, then we can, we've got, we want to get the, there was, what's, uh, the blades. We want to get the blades on, don't we? Exactly. That would be quite interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, we definitely need to uh, speak to the 2XL team. Um, but on questions, there's one back from last year, and I don't remember... <laughs> It's uh, Ailes G, who uh, often asks us questions, so that's brilliant. Thank you. As in questions about you've been in an emergency, your favourite emergency question mark. What emergency situation did you learn the most from? 
What's your favorite emergency equipment item? We definitely have not talked about that one before, have we? That's a great question. Oh, favorite emergency. Yeah, I'm smiling at the favorite emergency. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really enjoyed that one. It was a bell. Well, yeah, when the wing fell off. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> uh, well, I, I had an engine failure over Mostar. I remember doing some. Uh, we just told us about that one. No, different one. Different Helicopters at low level. Oof. But. Yeah, that was, uh, and it Most absolutely went bananas. Yeah, that was a goodie. Took, it, took us. It, it, did it make a lot of noise? It was definitely a bang. I remember just, you know, when you look in, and the uh, engines gauges are definitely in an unhappy place. It was a, a shut it down. F two was very clever. The uh, like the uh, the typhoon. If you if you lost one engine, you could have a cross drive clutch, so you could drive all the ancillaries that that engine would drive from the other engine so it, it was very clever in that respect but uh it was just a bit gutless the old girl on one engine and clearly we had to fly back across the adriatic uh wherever it was on, on one engine but uh that was quite good that was a, a different one my favorite emergency is um so I'd gone to Germany um, in the sort of mid-90s, and we used to come over to Holbeach to go to the range. We used to fly over from Germany to go to Holbeach to do low-level bombing. Uh, and because um, it was winter, wore an immersion suit, and I'd put my flying suit in my locker, put my immersion suit on anyway. I hit a bloody great big seagull um, at 100 feet, so I had to uh, divert into Wittering. It made a hell of a mess at the right-hand side of the aeroplane. And I diverted into Wittering um, and I'd had a blind date uh, about a month before with a young lady. And uh, I didn't have any clothes because, of course, I was based in Germany. I didn't have my wallet because it was uh, it was still in my flying suit that I'd put in my locker. Um, Dunk, that is not the reason you don't take your wallet around the place. (laughs) (laughs) But I I managed to uh, to find the number of this girl and uh, and give her a call, borrowed some clothes off a mate rang her up and said, I uh, don't know if you remember me, but uh, I haven't got any money. If you come and fetch me, how about we go to the pub? And uh, she's now my wife. Oh, thank God for that. The same as you, JB. Serious question. Do you do you actually mean a... Hang on, hang on. She only married him because she is still waiting for him to pay her back exactly. for that evening. <laughs> when you say a blind date, Doug, do you mean an old school, you were meant to meet there, never met her before, blind date? Yes, so I'd met her once before. Wow. Wow, that, that, is, that is really a, si- a sign of the times. I think they must have died out with internet dating. Yeah, they probably did, didn't they? They probably did. They don't happen anymore. Yeah. See, anyway, I, I, I could... I, I can't top that. You know, I've had a few emergencies along the way, but um, I think my most recent one was declaring a May Day over the middle of Paris and having to descend from 38,000 feet to below 10,000 feet um, immediately with an oxygen failure in a, uh, in a typhoon, which wow. was quite exciting as they moved all of the air traffic in France away from me. Um, and then when I got below 10,000 feet, everything was fine. I can't even remember what, I'm parking might remember what type of emergency it was. Front I think it was, me. you used to get an oxy in the, the alternate oxygen bottle, the AOB. Do you remember it either wouldn't fire or it was... Yeah, it was it something was, It was like something that. about the AOB, which should have gone off and then it had depleted itself or something or other. But if you had it, 
you you knew that you weren't on the AOB, which should be working. But they they fixed that one eventually. But there was a there was a few of those early days boys uh, descending yeah, all over that, the shop. French yeah. air traffic were brilliant. Got everyone out the way. Said, "What assistance do you need?" And once I was below ten thousand feet, I essentially went, "I think I'm all right now. I'll uh, I'll just carry on." <laughs> Feeling so, okay. Two so two <laughs> yeah, questions. I'm feeling all right now. What were you doing over France? Who 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 were you with? What what were you doing? And the other one is, was it like an was the emergency you had no oxygen? He he was going to see Dunk's French wife. <laughs> it was a it was a blind <laughs> date in France. That, with the cash that he owed her. Um, <laughs> I was flying back with a young wingman having delivered an aeroplane out to Cyprus when I was station commander at Lossiemouth. Um, and taking another aeroplane back. So the way out had been fairly straightforward. We landed in Grosseto in Italy and then actually made it in a single shot from Italy to Cyprus. Um, on the way back with a headwind and no tanker, we, uh, in fact, I don't think we had a tanker on the way out, um, we ended up landing at, um, in Crete, then again in Italy, um, then at Coningsby and then up to Lossiemouth. So it was a fairly long day. Um, so we'd had a couple of issues along the way and this was the final straw as we, uh, as we ended up, um, heading downhill, uh, over the middle of Paris with this young wingy thinking, oh, this is not what I needed. Yeah. I'm asking him to get the cards out and double check what I'm doing. So, um, but yeah, I, I imagine that being so much more glamorous than it actually was. I imagine two fire pilots nipping into Italy for some fuel, quick espresso, Back in the cockpit and gone again. But it's not like that, is it? No, oh, I remember when we landed in Crete, actually, it was it was warm. We were wearing immersion suits. Um, it was a massively quick turnaround because the, the day was against us. We were losing time and we had to be back um, by dark. Well, we had to be back within 12 hours. Otherwise, there was an extension to the flying day. And when the, I got him, because I was more experienced, I got him to start up first. And... Park, he'll remember it. He had a he'd had an inertial nav failure, which meant you had to get underneath the airplane as it was running and flick about a thousand different circuit breakers. Yeah, to get the in order to get this up. thing, yeah, yeah. To, get, to get this thing back up and running again. And I was sweating like you read about because I'm in my full kit rolling around underneath this uh, this airplane in the middle of Crete um, before I then even got into my own and fired her up because, um, as they called it, an autonomous start. It's not fraught with danger, but it's it's a lot less easy than when you've got a big power set connected and so on. You have to start the auxiliary power unit, get everything fired up. Then you have to start the engines and make sure all the avionics are working and so on. Um, and it's just uh, if you don't if you're not experienced in these things and you know some of the uh, the switches or in what order to do stuff, it can be a little bit tricky. So it was an interesting day. That is interesting. Right, any more for any more, because um, I'm having a horrible allergic ch- reaction to cats down here, so I need to be off. <laughs> on um, that bombshell. On that bombshell, she did say, what's your favourite emergency equipment item? And actually, I think mine is the magic straw. The magic straw. Go on. So that's the, it's in our survival packs. There's a thing oh, I know what this is, I know what it is. Yeah, a reverse osmosis pump, which is one you can stick in seawater. You know, I think it was squeezed the thing, wasn't it? And then you get drinking water out of it. But the magic straw was just a straw with magic stuff in the middle. You could stick it in anything and you'd be drinking pure, clean water out the other end when you sucked it up. There, must be, there must be a few drinking games involving magic straws. 
<laughs> yeah, I wonder if it takes alcohol out. That would be the way to do it. Ooh. It? Well, would it? If you put alcohol in, that's the way to do it. <laughs> well, if, if the two stars driving and he's ming-monged, it could be useful. Give <laughs> you a magic straw of my pints. <laughs> It would be a really dull drinking game, though, wouldn't it? Right, drink through the magic straw. <laughs> Still sober. Jesus Christ. Well, you say that, Doug. Of whiskey. See, you say that, Doug. And I disagree with you here because my dream is to do a stag do. And the fine for the stag is he's not allowed to drink for the whole thing. It, 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 it'd, be, it'd be so miserable. <laughs> well, I, you know. Or even better, any... don't, 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 even, don't even take him. Leave him in the airport. The gag is he doesn't get to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how well that's going to go down. Well, that's a point, isn't it? <laughs> Making memories and all that. Anyway, I've had enough of this. I can hardly breathe. I can tell. You can't breathe. I can't breathe. The doctor. Uh, exactly. Can you tell everyone where they can find us on Twitter, please, Goddess? I'm looking at it right now. It's pilot episodes at pilot episodes podcast. Um, we look at it every now and again, don't we? I'm kind yeah, of off Twitter these days, but um, uh, I, I do check this out every now and again. Um, do a bit of stalking. Maybe we can talk about why I'm not necessarily on Twitter these days in the next one. Let's leave I would on. love to do it's that. Quite, it's, it's, it's quite a funny story. Well, we've had a bit of a, hi- a hiatus, haven't we, I, I guess. What have we been off for? About six months, we were saying we should try... And be a little bit more regular now the winter's come around. Last, yeah, pre-Christmas. La- yeah, we'll, we'll let's not oh, let's not overcommit and underpromise. <laughs> Pre-Christmas twenty twenty-two. Santa special. Come yes, on, <laughs> believe we might even get a guest. Yeah, I guess it'd yes. be good because we have some belting guests. Anyway, enough well, of this that. Is, this has been good. It's probably been rubbish listening, but I've enjoyed seeing your little faces again. Yes, how nice has this been? Uh, it's been a well. It, it's been a welcome change from my normal dreary Wednesday. I'll, I'll give you that much. <laughs> right, Jamie, you've got to go. You've got to get up for CrossFit in the morning. Absolutely, I do. Right. Well, that's enough of that. Uh, thank you very much, gents. So we will leave it there. Hopefully, we'll be back in the very near future, or the semi-near future, or maybe even the far future. But one of those three things will be true. Uh, so, from me, Doug, and Parky, thank you. For, thank you for listening, and goodbye. And mate. Bye. 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 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.